Our reading today is from Philippians 2, verse 1 to 11. Uh, it's printed in your bulletin, or you can flip to it in your Bible if you have one with you. <clears throat> if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Morning. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me this morning. We really appreciate the opportunity to uh, preach here with you guys. Um, have you ever heard of influencer marketing? It's this very popular form of marketing where agencies and companies will pay one influential person to use their product and to strategically um, show it off to their fans and followers. Regardless of whether you've heard the term influencer marketing, you probably know of some of these influencers. Maybe you've heard some of these names. I haven't heard them all, but um, Lily Singh, Tyler Oakley, LeBron James, the Kardashians. These people are celebrities who make money by wearing or using products from brands and sharing them with their fans and their followers. Similar to LeBron James in the NBA, he gets paid a lot of money to wear Nike shoes. Influencers are paid to show off the latest and greatest brands and trends. And what makes them truly influencers is that they have a following of people. Brands want them to wear their clothing because they set an example. They set an example for us. We are drawn into the lives of celebrities because there is something we like about them. We desire to emulate them because we want what they have. Whether it's the lifestyle or the money or the fame. And this is why brands pay them. They appeal to our desire to be like them. And in Philippians 2, Paul is urging us to look to another example, or shall I say, an influencer. Paul points us to Jesus and says that we ought to emulate him and be like him in the way that he lived. And Paul is urging this fledgling church in this Roman colony called Philippi to come together and be united in a common cause, 
the cause of Christ and to follow his example. The way that Paul teaches the Philippians and us to reach this unity together, to come together in Christ, is by humbling ourselves and seeking the interest or the benefit of others. Humility is what Paul is calling for here. And humility is where we're going to camp out today. We'll see that Paul shows us that Jesus is both the example and the source of our humility. Because Christ is both the example and the source of our humility, we are called to give our lives to him for the benefit of others and for the glory of God. And we'll see first that there's a call to humility. Second, we'll see Christ as the example of our humility. And third, that Christ is the source of our humility. So first, Christ, sorry, first the call to humility. Paul begins in verses 1 to 4 by calling the Philippian church into unity together. He tells them to be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. And there's a connection to the previous verses in chapter 1 where Paul is encouraging the Philippians as their struggle from outside oppression and opposition. And now he's turning the page and he's encouraging them from within to stay unified as a group. And notice right from the beginning, Paul makes it clear that the basis for their unity, the basis for their union is the union that they have in Christ. He says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. And these statements, they're almost like rhetorical questions. He's, he's saying not just if these are the, there are these things, but because there is encouragement, comfort, fellowship, and compassion in Christ, then there can be, they can be united together. And we all desire unity in some respect. Our world is marred by political disunity, war, and protest. Even close to home, I think of what's happened here in West Hamilton on Lock Street. There's been this back-and-forth battle of protests around the issue of gentrification. Um, that's one of the issues. And in all this, even the influencers and the leaders are calling for a greater unity. Our society is calling for a greater unity and love and peace. And we all desire this. But yet, so often, their call, the call from our society to unity, it centers on our own resolve. It centers on us being the people who will pull us through. But Paul is saying that true unity comes from not from within ourselves, but from being united to Christ. The encouragement, the comfort, the affection, and the sympathy that comes from Christ, he leads us into this type of unity. And we'll talk more about this encouragement and comfort when we talk about Jesus being the source of our humility. So Paul moves on to say, that the way to unity is through humility, by seeking the benefit of others. He says in verse 3 and 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not 
only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. I like the word that some older translation, translations use for vain conceit. Um, the word is vainglory. The idea that we live for our own honor. We live for our own glory. It's our purpose in life to seek our own glory. Vainglory. And this is our default mode. We are driven by our desire for comfort or for wealth, or for high standing in our society, or for some, even one person, to look at us and love us. We ultimately only desire to take care of number one. Seeking our own glory, vain glory, that's our MO. In one way to help us uncover some of our tendencies um, toward vainglory is asking some diagnostic questions. Like, what are your goals in life? Where and on what do you spend your time? Or the worst one, how do you spend your money? Paul is telling us that this vain glory is not the way to unity. This is not the way that we ought to live. He calls us to a better way, a life of humility, serving and seeking what is best for others before what is best for ourselves. Not seeking vain glory, but in a very real sense, we are called to seek the benefit of others. Paul encourages us into humility by laying down our selfish ambition and our vain glory, our desire to be honored. But what does this look like? What does this humility look like? Paul gives continues from this point to give an example of what it does look like. What it looks like to seek the benefit of others over and above yourself. And Paul points to the ultimate picture of humility. He points to Jesus Christ. Jesus is given in this passage as an example of humility, of true humility. So Paul says in verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. He's setting up Jesus as an example here, saying, be like him. Do what he did. Follow his example. So what does this example that we're called to follow look like? What do we see? We see two things, among others. First, we see that Christ was not concerned with his own standing. Paul says in verse 6 that Christ, even though he was the very nature of God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Christ Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He is God himself, and he is not concerned about his own standing. This is the opposite of vainglory. Jesus was not concerned with attaining a high honor or having his standing maintained. Verse 7 says that Christ took the form of a servant, This is what Paul means when he says that we are to look out for the interests of others. Christ was not concerned with himself. Humility means that we are not concerned with ourselves. One of the quotes in the bulletin is from C.S. Lewis. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Thinking of others, serving others, seeking the benefit of others, that is true humility. 
And that is what Jesus models for us. The second thing we see from the example of Christ is that he fully surrendered himself to the will of God, to the will of the Father. Christ willingly surrendered himself to the Father's will. Verse 8 says that Jesus humbled himself and became obedient. Obedient to death, even death on a cross. Obedience to the Father is humility. Jesus didn't just seek the benefit and interest of other people, but he laid down himself down for the will of God. Obedient all the way to a torturous death. This is the example that we have. Jesus' life is the example of humility that we are called to have. So what does a life look like that is following the example of Christ? It looks like humbly, willingly surrendering your life in service to God and others. We're called to lay down our selfish dreams and plans to instead seek the will of God. And his will is that all may know him and might be reconciled to him. Paul, who's the author of this letter to the Philippians, he also gives us another good example of humility in his own life. Paul is one of the most influential people in the Christian religion. He was a great missionary, planting churches in cities all over Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, and moving out from there to Rome. And he had his sights set on the end of civilization as they knew it in Spain. So here is Paul writing this grand letter to the Philippians that exclaims the joys of life in Christ. Philippians 1 verse 21, he says that for him to live is Christ and to die is gain. And in this passage today, he's exclaiming the glories of the incarnation that God became flesh and dwelt among us. And later in chapter 3, he talks about the incredible grace of God in his own life. But while exclaiming all of these glories and imploring the church to follow the example of Christ, the same example that he's following, Paul is in prison. Because he's been doing the very thing that he's calling us to do. The very thing that he's following Christ's example seeking and doing the will of God. He's in chains for preaching the gospel, for loving and worshiping God. And he is full of joy. His life is in complete surrender to Christ. And think about how this compares with our celebrity understanding of joy and honor and glory. It couldn't be more opposite. Paul is in chains, in prison, feeling the deepest comfort and joy. Because he is in Christ. He's surrendered to the will of God. Where as many celebrities or influencers are in plush hotel rooms and mansions, yet they are not satiated. They are not satisfied. They desire more. What about you? Do you need more? Are you stuck searching for the next comfort? The next joy? The next achievement? 
It's hard for us not to get into a guilt space here. Maybe we're feeling guilty about our lives in comparison with what we see in Paul. And the tendency for us to feel the tendency is for us to feel guilty and then re-up on our commitment to try harder. To dig deep and find it within ourselves to just get better at being humble. But then we miss the point. We can't stop here. We can't stop with Jesus just being a good example. Why can't we stop? We can't stop here because this leaves Jesus as just another great moral man to follow. And we would then be called to look within ourselves to find what it takes to seek the well-being of, of others in the glo- and give our lives and surrender to the Father. Christ Jesus is not just an example. He is the source of our humility. Christ is the source of our humility. So how can we have this kind of joy that Paul had and, and keep our joy in this kind of humble obedience to the will of God? It's only by being united to Christ in his death and resurrection because he is the source. Christ Christ's descent to earth and taking on flesh is called the incarnation, but it can also be seen as his humiliation. He humbled himself and became a man, became a human like us. And he lived a life free of sin, unlike us. He was killed on a Roman cross through no fault of his own. This is the most true injustice ever. The only true innocent man given the death penalty. On the cross, God poured out his wrath on Jesus. The wrath that God had for us, for our sin. And Jesus takes our sin on the cross and in turn he gives us his righteousness. He gives his righteousness to those who might repent and believe in him. But if we stopped just at his death, we'd still just have another good moral example of someone who lived a good life and then died. Jesus rose on the third day victoriously from the grave, defeating death and proving that he is the savior of the world. In verses 9 to 11, Paul is referring to Jesus post-resurrection. So Jesus humbly obeys the Father, and then Paul says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you're here this morning and whether you call yourself a Christian or not, this is the good news of the gospel. That in Christ, through his humble service, his death and resurrection, you can find new life. It is because he gave his life for us that we can now give our lives to him. So how should we respond The response is the same wherever you are on this journey. We're called to respond to this good news in faith, saying this is true. 
Christ has paid for my sin and given me new life in him. And along with this faith comes repentance. Repentance is an act of turning from your own way, from your own vain glory, and setting your sights on Christ. This is an act of surrendering your life and your will to the will of God. It's an act of surrendering. Maybe it's an act of re-surrendering or re-re-surrendering. Will you, whether for the first or the millionth time, answer this call to surrender your will, your desires, your life to the will of God? After all, he laid down his life for you. So we have a call to humility by laying down our lives in surrender to the will of God. And in this passage, we do get a glimpse of what the will of God is. In verse 10 and 11 say that all knees will bow and tongues and all tongues will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God is glorified when people put their faith in Christ as Lord. By calling Jesus Lord here, this is not just people paying lip service. It's not a theoretical announcement. By calling Jesus Lord, we are renouncing our own independence, our own vain glory, and submitting ourselves to the will and word of this Lord and for his glory. We're called to mission. We're called to preach this gospel in our spheres of influence. We're called to be a unifying people in our neighborhoods and in our town. We're called to humbly serve others and seek their benefit. And what could be more beneficial to our neighbors and to our coworkers, our friends and our family, than this good news, offering them new life in Christ? I read a story yesterday about the, the best barista in the USA. Um, I guess they have a competition for that, and he won. Um, this is a, this guy, his name's Kyle Ramage, and he's a Christian, and he works, obviously, in the coffee industry. Um, but he sees his job as a vocation and a place where he's called to bring glory to God by being a light in his workplace. And here's a, a kind of a lengthy quote from him talking about his connection between his faith and his work. He says, I believe at my core that the world is organized to give glory to God. And our work is part of that. Maybe your job feels like a subtle act of worship, but your heart is what matters. When the job is terrible, the pay is awful, and the people are frustrating, if you are able to respond in kindness and love and support for your coworkers and your customers and your boss, that's what's going to differentiate differentiate you and make people question. This guy is weird. What's wrong with him? Why is he so kind or loving or giving to others? He doesn't owe these people anything. He goes on to say, that's a practical way we can get into conversations. And those kind of conversations are where you can start to change people's minds about what it means to be a Christian. 
Not that we can really do that, but we give avenues for the Spirit to change the way people think about the faith. Remember when I compared Jesus to a a marketing influencer? This comparison couldn't be further from the truth. The social media influencer portrays this plush lifestyle. They make us feel the need for their products because we want what they have. And we can talk about how they present a false sense of reality all we want, but we're still drawn into their fancy cars and seemingly bottomless bank accounts. This lifestyle is the opposite of the humility that we ought to seek while following Jesus. The marketing strategy plays off our desire to be honored, to look better, to achieve more. This idea of vainglory. And while Paul was writing this letter to the Philippian church about the joys of laying your life down and surrender to Jesus, he was in prison, near death. One commentator mentions how this whole book is like a mountaintop experience, like a mountaintop book for Paul. He is completely sold out for Christ and can't stop exclaiming the joy of being united with him. All the while, he is in prison for preaching the very same thing. Paul is showing, even with his own life, that being united to Christ in his humiliating death and in his resurrection and his exaltation is the greatest gift of all. What we find is that when we give our lives to service in Christ, because of what he has done for us, nothing that we have done, we are given the honor and glory that we desire. It's by our union with him that we are also glorified. Our sense of vain glory is because there is a real and a good longing in us for us to be honored. By humbling ourselves to the will of God, we then share in the glory of Christ. Paul says in another letter called Ephesians, in chapter 2, he says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. This is why Paul is not afraid of death. Death is gain to him because it means his glorification, seated with Christ. This is why Paul can be at the mountaintop of life while chained in a prison cell. He is united with the resurrected king, and he is driven by Christ's mission. Christ is a great example for us but he is not just an example. He is also the source of our humility and service, as well as the greatest benefit that we can give to others. We are now led into mission, seeking that all may know and worship this great king. 